You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we discuss some reflections on Easter. We hear a reflection on forgiveness, and we hear a poem by Jacob Allstott, Below St. Joseph's Downcast Eyes We Wait. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to Resurrection Life Podcast, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection, where we don't fake the funk. Happy Easter, Father. Christ is risen. (laughs) Happy Easter. (laughs) Christ is risen indeed. We we, we don't fake the funk. It's it's true. My uh, my connect group dared me to say that, and I told them, I don't have a problem saying that. They didn't think I would. There's a a member who came into the church a few years ago, and... and, uh, she she uh, mentioned that about us. I, I think that's another way of saying authentic Catholicism. <laughs> exactly. It's just right? a different way of saying it. <laughs> we don't fake the funk. I, I think it, it's a good thing not to fake. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's let's be who we are. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of people coming into the church, we just celebrated the uh, the Easter Triduum. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while uh, since we've been able to record just the busyness of Holy Week and, and uh, Easter Week and... But it's good to be back, and, and yeah, it was exciting. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, great response from the people of the parish to oh yeah, you know, every Thursday, uh, every liturgy, liturgy was full. Yeah, and it it was it was a great gift. And as I mentioned, I think at uh, at the Easter services and perhaps the Easter vigil as well, uh, if there's no one coming into the church, there's a sense of of sadness and uh, mm-hmm. that sense of the church in a locality uh, being barren. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the case here. Different years, there's been a, a larger number. Every year, there's a, a, a wide range of, of, of personalities coming to different, and you know a little bit more about that than I do. And yeah. I'd, I'd love to have you, as we've talked about it, talk to the candidates, uh, or no, no, the new, newly confirmed, uh, those who've converted and become Catholic, those who were baptized, mm-hmm. received uh, the sacrament of confirmation and uh, their first holy community. Yeah. So every year after all of the sacraments have been received and whatnot, uh, we have a little little pizza party with them. And for the first time, I asked them to share their story, kind of a um, sharing of the graces type of yeah, experience. Yeah. Because one of the things that I want them to leave this whole experience is knowing is that the devil, he his game plan is very, very narrow. He's got seven deadly sins, and that's about it. But God is the truly creative one. That's and right. so we, the devil's trick is to make us think that we're very unique in our sin. Um, but we're all kind of following the same game plan. Um and uh, and then and then he makes us feel isolated and shamed about it, but God is the master uh, craftsman who can work with anything that we fallen people throw at him to bring us gradually into his his care. Well, and I I, th- I think I think you're exactly right. And one of the things that happens with uh, I mean C.S. Lewis is really good about this uh, talking about this in Screw Tape Letters where you've got someone who's made a, a a conversion and you get them to to think about all the other people that are in the church. Do I really want to oh, yeah. be a part of this group? Uh, you know, looking at but the fact is we're all working on this 
process of sanctification, and uh, the evil one does use lies, right? Mm-hmm. And our the, the the world, the flesh, and the devil are the enemies of our souls, and uh, I think there can be uh, a misapprehension that everybody who's been a Catholic since childhood is somehow uh, a mature yeah. Catholic, yeah. but it doesn't always happen. No. In fact, I've had more uh, spiritually mature people come through RCIA uh, sometimes than, than I see in our pews of people that have been, or sometimes even, you know, I'm like, I look at somebody that wants to come into the church and, and I admire their own um, uh, maturity in prayer life and, and their trust in the Lord and things like that. But, you know, I think we can sometimes uh, get... Uh, get kind of uh, tripped up in our head to think that we've we've done too much we've we've you know god can't fix this we might not say it out loud but it's our actions betray that thought well, and, and let's let's just be honest that's just where peter's story mm-hmm. uh, is excellent right yeah. uh, i do not know the man denied me three times and Thomas, the doubter, I won't believe unless I stick my fingers into his hands, my hands into his sides. And, and the Lord works through all of those things. We see it in the scriptures. And uh, the Lord calls us back, back, back. And I, I think the evil one absolutely wants to get us to diminish our dignity and to doubt uh, the values and the gifts that we have. Yesterday at our daily mass readings, uh, the, the, the great line, the he does not ration the spirit, mm-hmm. right? And, and I said to the, the the students and those who came to daily mass, if I could effect one change for people, it would be to be able to flip that switch in their heart and mind to believe that the Lord has not rationed the spirit with them. Mm-hmm. But if there's any limits, it's our mm-hmm. foreclosing of the sacramental graces. We are not as open to receive or to believe that the Lord is capacious uh, or, or a prodigal even in, in his giving, yeah, if we could just make it There is hearts. nothing that can frustrate the Lord's plans besides the human will. You know, whether or not we choose to cooperate with him. That's right. He's, he's, he's committed to perfecting us into the image of Christ, and he will do it. Uh, but often, and, and this is uh, one sad thing, often the way that that happens is through suffering that none of us wants. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so each of the, the, those individuals um, mm-hmm. that came into the church have a very particular story uh, about how God worked in their life. Um, and uh, it's just a great time to be able to um, just relish those graces and to just kind of rest in, in the work that the Lord has accomplished, but then prepare them for what comes after Pentecost. Well, and, and, and I, I hope, as I preached a couple of weeks in a row during during Lent, that they would share their story, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that uh, we all have stories and it is as unique as the person that we are. And so I'm, I'm glad that you had them do that. Yeah. So uh, as always, these these individuals come into the church during the Easter Triduum, uh, the, Holy, the Holy Sacred Triduum, and... That um, that series of, of three days, it can become regular, but I don't know about you, but it seems like even though I know what's coming, yeah, there's always there's always something 
just different, like mystical, like you step out of your normal day and... Yeah, it, it's... Um, I think the more open we become, you and I become, to the, the Lord's movement and, and the mysteries of, of the, the Triduum, the more it becomes a representation mm-hmm. of the Paschal mystery. Yeah. I mean, we're really, in a way, uh, we do every time at Mass, we're enlivening and acting it out, and uh, that, that's, that's a great grace. It's been, it's been fun as well, um, as my older children are now getting to the point where they can, um, they can come to the liturgies with me, and they're, they're noticing things. So I had Eleanor and John Paul with me on Good Friday, and you know you, you processed in and then prostrate and they were like hanging out the end of the pew like hey, what's char- going on? what is he doing <laughs> right, right. I, you know i pointed out that you took your shoes off during the uh, adoration of the cross and they were like why and so then we got to talk about moses and the burning bush and um, kind of remind them about that story so, so. it really is i mean it's the lex aranda lex credente the, mm-hmm. the way that we pray uh that's how we believe and uh you know the going, processing to the altar of repose and that sense of being with Jesus for yeah. that in that time. Uh, it's great. Trying to be his comfort. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I have one short story that I'd like to share about. Oh, yeah. um, I had gotten the opportunity in the Holy Land to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, the person that arranged this for us was able to get us three hours in the middle of the day just my group in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I thought, how am I going to spend three hours? That's that's a good chunk of time. And uh, uh, Father Mark Rutherford was with me. This was before he was ordained. And so uh, the first hour, we, we had a nice lunch. We enjoyed our time. Second hour, I said, I better make sure I make a holy hour. That was the one thing that Jesus kind of <laughs> made that's a right. point about. Right. And then I was like, hmm. Well, you know, if it was good enough for the apostles, it should be good enough for me. I took a nap. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. So that was a unique experience right? under Absolutely. the olive trees, and mm-hmm. some of those olive trees are, they say, go all the way back to Jesus' no, time. It's, so it's it's, uh, it's pretty. And the the same architect did that church as the church of the Transfiguration. So oh yeah, yeah, and it's on the mount. Uh, and, Mount Tabor. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's tremendous light oh, in yeah. the Church of the Transfiguration, but it's very dark mm-hmm. at the Church of... Yeah, yeah. I think seven. they actually didn't even put glass windows in. It's, um, I want to say, alabaster or... Could be, could yeah. be, but it, but it's very dim. And so the, the, you know, again, this, as we, uh, as we pray, we believe and we have an encounter uh, with the Lord... Yeah, it's it's uh, the beauty of the music um, was tremendous, mm-hmm. and uh, the ringing of the bell during the Gloria, uh, the lights coming on, and uh, what was yeah. the name of the young man that had to ring the bells through the the Gloria? Uh, that's uh, that's Bronson Bronson Abbott. So <laughs> that poor guy at the beginning of Holy Thursday, he has to bring, he has to lead with the crucifix. Uh, each of the oils. And so he would bring one up and those prayers are short when you receive them. So he would be sprinting to get back to the back of the church to bring the next one up. 
And then he gets the last one up. He is like huffing and puffing. And then he's got to go and ring the bells. I was like, that poor guy. <laughs> no, he's, he, he's fit. He's, he's fit. He's, 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 he earned he's his good. bread yeah, that day. <laughs> and it was good to have the three seminarians. Uh, oh, yeah. With the liturgies as well. I think that, um, I think that um, inspired everyone to see them up there. And, and yeah. the, just the joy on their faces. They, yeah. They're loving what they're doing. You know, one, one of the things that... that the, the servers feel this kind of competition. How many did we have for this or that service? And other people, they hear that we have, you know, at one of those liturgies, I think it was a whole... I Thursday counted 23. 23, yeah. And some people say, that's absurd. Well, actually, they, they did something, right? All of them did something. And now, is the point to have as few as are needed? They they have this sense of being a part of this and to see them, these young servers, not some of them, not so young, some of them seniors and juniors in high school, uh, their fraternity mm-hmm. is a great sign to me and a reminder to me of the fraternity that diocese of Lansing, uh, seminarians have wherever they study. Yeah. I think, uh, it, it's only a blessing to have, young men and whether they're 10 years old or up uh want to be up there right um because that's not the problem that most parishes have that's right um and so if you're if you're struggling to find a spot for them then i think we're doing something right because they want to be up there <laughs> exactly, exactly. and you know that's how you're going to con- uh um cultivate vocations is young men that want to be in the service of the lord's altar Yep. So I don't think, you know. Uh, the, the, well, clearly, clearly, whatever people <laughs> might say, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not affecting it's, you. It's not affecting us. And thankfully, we've got guys who are serving into their, their college age. So, so Bronson is a, is he a okay. I think he's a freshman in, okay. in, in college now. Okay. Well, thank you to all those seminarians. If you're listening to the podcast, we absolutely really appreciate you, and uh, not just the seminarians, but that's right. all the young men yep. that were up there. You really kind of, I think, um, lifted the the prayer uh, of the whole parish because there is something about uh, when they all come up, you know, in the front of the sanctuary and they kneel down together as one. During the Eucharistic yeah, prayer. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, the host of the Lord, you well, know, that's what they look like. It's like the, the Van Eich uh, altarpiece, mm-hmm. with the Ghent altarpiece, yeah. where you just see the, the host around. around. Yeah, it is. And we want to do that more and more. And, uh, you know, we've been talking, maybe this is a good transition to talk a little bit about um, renovations mm-hmm. of, our, of our church. It's been four years anyway or about four years since we um, talked about renovating the the sanctuary. And we had a design um, by Tom Reykjavich in Evanston, Illinois, and we had delayed it uh, partly because of uncertainty about COVID and finances. We just didn't know how things were going to go. We had money in the bank from the Witness to Hope funds. Those are still there, by the way, uh, accruing interest, and now they're being affected a little bit by, um, you know, COVID after effects in terms of just kind of the inflationary effects. But we were hoping to get going with uh, the project with that architect in April, but for a variety of reasons, uh, we mutually agreed that we were going to take the design, purchase the intellectual rights to the design, and work with a local architect or another architect instead. I think that'll save us uh, 
money in the long run, uh, quite a bit of money, in fact, just because of travel from Evanston to here. And uh, it'll also, the, the compensation formula is, is more uh, satisfactory for the diocese and for us. So we're, we don't have any set timeline, but we're hoping that perhaps even sometime in 2023 that uh, we may be able to, to do the project. And we're hoping actually to expand the project from the sanctuary to include uh, new pews and new lighting. Oh, so lighting oh, yeah. that would be more fitting for for a church. So yeah. okay, so the the pictures that we've seen all along in the back of church, yep. those are still the plans. Those are still the plans, okay. right? Yep. Good. Well, we we may make a, a few small minor changes, um, but the basic design is the same. So we're still going to kind of do the um, kind of dividing it into yep. three That's right. sections. Yep. Gonna, and I'm making it seem more less like an open living room space, yeah. which is kind of the way it is now, or stage, mm-hmm. and to have it really be focused the center on the on the sanctuary proper, those side, and hopefully getting two statues of Gabriel and Raphael. Yeah. So we've got Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Yeah. Um, one of the th- one of the things that I had noticed when we were first presented with the uh, the blue pr- the the design mm-hmm. um, art. I had asked the architect because it seemed to me like the middle section was intentionally designed to be square. Like the two sections were brought in enough so that it was a square with the height and the width. I said, did you do that on purpose since in Revelation, cube. Uh, the <laughs> heaven is described as a cube? And he was like, oh, good. I'm glad somebody noticed. So yeah. uh, the sanctuary really will be intentionally made to um, reflect the heavenly liturgy. That's right. That's what we enter yeah. into. And so the the ceiling, you may remember in the images, it will be wood beams and in uh, inside the, the, the coffered ceiling, there will be stars. So mm-hmm. a sky, night sky, and stars that will indicate the heavens as well. So yeah. it, it visually, it looks like the heavens and the, and the shape of the, the sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. So this is something I think we all should be excited for. Yeah. I, I think it will help us. I think it will, uh, um, invite us into beauty even more mm-hmm. deeply than we've been able to do before. And that's so crucial to this point to the, to the liturgy is it, yeah. it's done beautifully. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for Um, anything else, uh, reflections from the Easter vigil? Well, I, we, What's wonderful is this is the hundredth time that we've celebrated oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, the Easter Vigil, and uh, we will celebrate. No, maybe it isn't. It's the ninety-ninth time, but we're in our hundredth year. Uh, the first Mass was Christmas Day, oh, okay. nineteen twenty-two. So th- maybe it would be. I think this would be the hundredth Resurrection that we would. I, we'll I do the math afterwards. Yeah, I know. I, I just, it's frustrating to me. I don't know that. Uh, in any case, uh, we're in our uh, 100th year for sure. And uh, that celebration of the resurrection, we, we get not just one day, uh, patronal feast day, but we get an octave and then a season. Yeah. It's not bad. So Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Uh, God bless. God bless. One of the main things that stops us from progressing on the path to holiness is unforgiveness or resentment against those who have hurt us. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, 
we consider how we can free ourselves from the burden of resentment and bitterness and experience true freedom in our lives. Forgiveness. When a person is dying, the family members gather round and listen intently to their last dying words. What they have to say is important, perhaps the most important thing they ever said in their lives. This is their last message to their loved ones and to the world in general before leaving this life forever. When Jesus was dying, almost with his dying breath, he gave us his parting message to the world. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If we remember nothing else of what he said, we should remember how important forgiveness was to Jesus. Forgiveness is essential for our salvation. In fact, we can't get into heaven if we are still harbouring unforgiveness against anyone. The reality is that God has created us for heaven, but we can't survive in that rarefied atmosphere if we are still dragging around resentments against those who have hurt us. Unforgiveness is a barrier that stops us moving forward into a relationship with God. It's like a ball and chain we carry around with us throughout our lives, and it stops us from fully receiving God's love and sharing that love with others. Often we can detect the presence of unforgiveness in ourselves by what triggers us. Perhaps we are very sensitive to perceived injustice. Perhaps we tend to overreact if we feel we are being ignored. Maybe because of past experiences, we tend to avoid close relationships with other people. Often these triggers come about as a result of an old wound from the past being pressed. Sometimes it can be difficult to forgive someone, especially if they have hurt us deeply and left wounds and scars on us that persist throughout our lives. Nevertheless, if we want to be free, we have to find a way of forgiving them from the heart. The John Paul II Healing Centre has developed a method of achieving that level of forgiveness, and we have used this process many times in the course of our prayer sessions as we pray with people for healing. We have found the method most effective when it's done in the presence of someone else who can pray with you rather than simply on your own. It's also most effective if the prayers that we use are said aloud. The purpose of forgiveness is not so much reconciliation with the person who has hurt you as to free you from the burden of resentment and to remove the barrier that exists between you and God. So what is the process by which someone can find freedom through forgiving those who have hurt them? It starts with identifying the person you need to forgive. It could be a family member, a friend, a co-worker or someone you might consider an enemy. Then it's a case of making an account of the debt. What I mean by that is describing exactly how you have been hurt. What has that person done to you that has wounded you? And how has that affected your life going forward? It can be a little bit difficult to face the pain of past hurts, but it's worth doing it if you want to be freed from the clutches of old resentments. It's important to be honest about how we have been hurt, even if by now we have buried the pain.
A question to ask yourself then is, what have I come to believe about myself on the basis of those past hurts? What identity lies have I taken on? How have I begun to define myself by my pain? Maybe I feel that I am somehow shameful or worthless. Maybe I feel that I'm ugly or stupid or that I'm unlovable. Maybe I feel that no one understands me or cares for me and that I have no hope for the future. Our enemy, the devil, who is the father of lies, will feed us these untruths in order to make us believe that we are somehow less than beloved sons and daughters of God. But these are all identity lies that should be renounced. The next thing to examine is what judgments I have made of the person who has hurt me. What kind of person do I believe them to be on the basis of their behaviour? The fact is, only God can judge a person's culpability. So when we make judgments of other people, we're taking on a God-sized weight. And in the last analysis, judging other people is sin. Those judgments must be renounced because they're one of the main things that stop us from experiencing God's love. And then we come to the part of the process where we ask God to forgive the person for the ways in which they have hurt us. That can be done in the form of a spontaneous prayer. And next, we forgive the person ourselves. This is the point at which we need to take a deep breath and extend forgiveness to the person, despite the hurt and the legacy their actions may have left us. Sometimes it might take a while before we can go through with this part of the process, but it's worth it in the end because of the freedom we will experience. The final part of the forgiveness process is where we say a prayer for the person, asking God to bless them in the opposite way to how they hurt us. So, for example, if they made you feel worthless or unimportant, you might ask the Lord that they might come to a full knowledge that they are a beloved son or daughter of God the Father. In addition to going through this process, we can also renounce any inner vows that we have made in response to the hurt we have received. An inner vow is a promise we make to ourselves out of self-protection so that we won't be hurt again. It might sound something like, I must never or I must make sure that I always. For example, if we have been abused in some way, we might have an inner vow that I must make sure I never become vulnerable again. Or if we have been betrayed, we might have an inner vow that we will never fully trust another person again. The trouble with inner vows is that they don't work. What they do is put pressure on us to act in certain unhealthy ways that limit our ability to love other people. Often they can, in fact, bring about the very thing we have vowed against. Once again, we should identify any of these inner vows that we have made to ourselves and renounce them. And the last thing that remains to do is to break any soul ties that we have with the person who has wronged us. A soul tie is like an invisible bond that we have with another person. There are good soul ties like those in a healthy relationship between a husband and wife or between a parent and a son or daughter. But there can also be bad soul ties, especially if we have begun to identify ourselves or define ourselves on the basis of the wounds that we have received in the past. But those unhealthy soul ties 
can also be renounced and broken. There may be many people who have hurt us and for whom we still bear an element of resentment. This process of forgiveness frees us from continuing to carry around those same wounds and liberates us from the burden of ill-feeling that we have towards other people. Sometimes the person we need to forgive is God himself. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves for sins and faults and mistakes of the past or the present. Unforgiveness can present a huge obstacle to us and our ability to move forward into the freedom that we should be experiencing because of our baptism. Let's resolve with the help of the Holy Spirit to set aside the resentment for past hurts and instead forgive everyone who has wounded us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are all-loving and all-forgiving. Give us the grace to identify areas in which we hold resentments against those who have hurt us. Give us the strength of will to forgive them and so enter into a new sense of freedom in our relationship with you and with those you have given us to love. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Jacob Allstadt. Below St. Joseph's downcast eyes we wait. Hello, my name is Jacob Allstadt. I'm the principal at Resurrection School, and I have a deep devotion to St. Joseph, and I wish I could have experienced uh, the child Jesus the way he did. I can only imagine what it would have been like to hold Christ in your arms as both a father and a protector but to also receive Christ's healing love in return. And within that devotion, I I wrote this poem. It's called, Below St. Joseph's Downcast Eyes We Wait. We sat for ages upon this worn-out pew, with minds held there in silence we debate. In search of answers, Lord, we wish we knew. Below St. Joseph's downcast eyes we wait. The church's sins are hard to be undone. The scandal from within we must abate. Come save us from the wily evil one. For strong defense over the church we wait. With child a mother weeps inside the door. To them now he is permanently late. With broken hearts they grieve him all the more. For endless love of Father God, we wait. Absorbed in pestilence, disease, and strife, death comes at an unprecedented rate. Yet still we squander this one gift of life. For health in times of our distress, we wait. So many needs and never time enough. We turn our eyes aside, their souls deflate. The work is more important, sounds so rough. For humility to forgive, we wait. We seek for him in darkness and despair, yet we remain like watchmen at the gate. From him is drawn the kingly line and heir. For hope to find the long-lost son, we wait. Now old and wearied by the long-fought road, and say farewell to this disordered state. 
We have sustained the cross, a heavy load, for loved ones and a happy death. We wait. We sat for ages upon this worn-out pew, with minds held there, in silence we debate. In search of answers, Lord, we wish we knew. Below St. Joseph's downcast eyes, we wait. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.